Hello and welcome to the fourth and final episode of Perth to Paisley at the Euros. Um, we can't imagine that this episode will be too long, but let's face it, neither was Scotland's stay at the European Championships. I am one of your hosts, Adam Kennedy, and here to help me dissect the defeat to the Croats is Daniel McIver. How are we doing, Daniel? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I think in a result that we all knew was coming, we didn't want to accept it, but yeah. How are you doing? You know what, mate? I, I, I'm I'm all right. I'm, I'm sort of numb now. I think I'm <laughs> I'm watching the rest of the tournament and enjoying it. But yeah, it's still mad to think that we are, you know, one of the only eight teams to have not advanced out the group. <laughs> <laughs> so that that thought's sort of it's clogging up the back of my mind. But I'm still enjoying the tournament. I mean, is that is that the same for you? Oh yeah, 100%. Like to peel back the curtain a wee bit, we are nine minutes removed from that Spain-Croatia game. And Unbelievable. If you don't enjoy that, you don't enjoy football. So the tournament has still been really, really enjoyable, but it would have been that extra wee bit enjoyable if it was us getting beat 5-3 by the Spaniards. <laughs> No, well said. I mean, that's exactly what we're craving, some round of 16 humiliation. Um, <laughs> because due to wins elsewhere, there was a, a winner-takes-all battle set up at Hamden Park, wasn't there? Like I sort of said last week, it was great that we could acknowledge teams um, doing us favours, but we had to focus on our match with uh, Croatia first and foremost. So we simply had to beat Croatia and vice versa in order for the the winner to be the the third side to advance from Group D, given that the Czech Republic and England uh, had successfully navigated their way out the group. Um, the home team at Hamden, which were Croatia, bizarrely, made uh, four changes. So uh, they had Josip Juranovic replacing Versalsko at right back. Marcelo Brozovic replaced Andre Kramaric in the middle of the park as they opted for three central midfielders. Josip Brekel made way for Nikola Vlasic, one of their goal scorers uh, on the day, and Bruno Pekovic came in up front to replace Ante Rebic. A um, couple of recognisable names in, in the Croatia team, if, if I go through it. So they started with Dinamo Zagreb goalkeeper Dominik Livakovic between the sticks, uh, a back four of Legia Warsaw's Josip Juranovic, like I say, Dejan Lovren, of course, former Southampton and Liverpool centre-half now of Zenit St. Petersburg. Domagoj Vida of Besiktas was the other centre-half with Josfo Vardiol at left-back again of Dinamo Zagreb. The midfield trio was ridiculous um, and it was Chelsea's Mateo Kovacic, Luka Modric, still of Real Madrid of course, and Inter Milan's Marcelo Brozovic. Uh, Brozovic's inter-teammate Ivan Perisic and CSKA Moscow's Nikola Vlasic supported Bruno Pekovic up front again, plays for Dinamo Zagreb. Um, Anything to fear within that, mate? Obviously, the, the midfield trio we know. Um, but let's face it, they, they were sort of without a kind of main marksman, weren't they, Croatia? The main thing to fear was uh, pronunciations, and you absolutely smashed that. So Thanks, very well done. Um, listen, Petkovic is a very good player. He's a very good player. I know like a lot of my knowledge of kind of Eastern European players comes purely through football manager. Uh, Petkovic uh, is very good very good player as you said he's not he's not the kind of stereotypical number nine slash just forward player and obviously Perisic is I mean look at the level Perisic is at you, you know he's going to be talented but it wasn't a very big front three the midfield is just a joke like the current Champions League winner the current Scudetto winner and the previous Ballon d'Or winner make it up the defence is all right. Uh, I'll be honest, I was quite happy to see the right back being replaced as he is consistently very good. Dejan Lovren, I think his best years are behind him. So I was thinking if we can just get at that, we definitely have a chance. Um, but yeah, then then something like just seemed to happen. And as soon as I saw Brozovic being put back into my, that midfield. I will be honest, a part of me just kind of accepted that perhaps this wasn't going to be our night. No, of course. And I think that was partly also to do with, with team selection, of course, with, because as for Scotland, there was the, the one enforced change with 
obviously Billy Gilmore struck with COVID, uh, replaced by Stuart Armstrong. So, oh my fucking god, the Scots lined up as follows with uh, I forgot Darby. about this. I forgot <laughs> about this. So it was Derby County's David Marshall kept his place between the sticks. Uh, Kieran Tierney of Arsenal, Norwich City captain Grant Hanley and Manchester United's Scott McTominay made up the back three. Andy Robertson of Liverpool and Stephen O'Donnell of Motherwell slotted in as wing-backs with Callum McGregor of Celtic, Aston Villa's John McGinn and Stuart Armstrong of Southampton making up the midfield trio, like I say. And his Saints teammate Che Adams partnered Lyndon Dykes of Queen's Park Rangers up front. So, from a Scotland stance, Daniel, were you happy with Stuart Armstrong coming in? Would you have rather seen somebody else? I mean, don't get me wrong, that's of course easier to say with hindsight and what have you, but I know that you were sort of clamouring for David Turnbull to start. Were you disappointed not to see that? Right, so, a little bit of insight into how I was watching the game. Uh, Two days earlier, I tore a stomach in my um, a muscle in my stomach, so I wasn't able to move during the game. I was in agonising pain. It has it is now as we record this Monday the twenty eighth. The pain is starting to subside a week and a bit later. I've been on a lot of drugs to help it. That was less pain than seeing Stuart Armstrong's name in the starting lineup because. As soon as I saw he was lining up, I just I knew how the game was going to go because Stuart Armstrong has never put in a good performance in a Scotland shirt. I I will argue with anyone who disagrees with that. He's never done anything of merit. He might have a lovely voice. He's the poshest Scottish person I've ever heard, right? Which is a major Gary Mackay Stephen. Yes, that's a good but it's between the two, which immediately is what like warning bells are going off in your heat. Like that's a bad sign. But oh my god, listen, I made it very clear last week and on Twitter. I wanted David Turnbull. I think it's incredible that he never got on. Uh, I I mean the person I actually wanted, and I think has kind of that moment showed us what a mistake it was, is that that was the perfect moment for a Ryan Gold to come in. But of course it wasn't there, it was Stuart Armstrong. Apart from that, I thought the team selection was all right. I can't believe Lyndon Dykes played as much as he did. As I said, I would have started Nisbet. But generally, when I saw the team, Armstrong aside, I was like, okay, that's a pretty decent lineup. We might be able to do something here. And I can't disagree with, with any of that. I, too, am sort of... It's, it's funny because obviously I've got you to thank for the whole Radio 5 Live malarkey uh, in the morning and under the pressure of being on such a massive radio station, um, Nicky Campbell asked me would I like to see sort of David Turnbull start and of course, as I've said on here, I'm a big fan of David Turnbull's but I thought that <laughs> Stuart Armstrong ought to start because of the potential chemistry between he and Che Adams obviously playing together at Southampton. Um, what happened was you bottled making a big claim. I, 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 I did, yeah. I, I just thought because David Turnbull, I think, did he did he play against the Dutch? And I think that's sort of his only cameo for Scotland so far. I don't even I think, remember. I think I, might, I think I might have even said that he was uncapped. I mean, I was... <laughs> I, I was properly shitting myself. Um <laughs> But, You're welcome. But yeah, thanks, mate. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, I, I too am in that Stuart Armstrong camp. I, I, I don't think, and this sounds incredibly harsh to say, I don't think that the majority of the nation have forgiven him for that England game. Of course not. He'll never be forgiven. I don't care what no. he does in his life. That's what he'll be remembered for forever. <laughs> Had he grabbed the winner at Wembley. Even then, it might, it it might be like, a different you're story. On, you're on net zero now. You've made up. For it. <laughs> He's redeemed himself somewhat. Yeah, but then I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think. Well, going back to that England game, we probably would have qualified then, wouldn't we? Yes, yes, we definitely. Thanks, definitely. Stuart. You melt. Do you know? I, I was actually starting to doubt. I, I was, I was thinking to myself, have I ever actually seen Stuart Armstrong have a decent game for Scotland? Then I thought, have I ever seen Stuart Armstrong have a decent game for Celtic? Then I thought, have I ever seen a de- Stuart Armstrong have a decent game for Dundee United? 
Southampton, is there like, is there a clone that just gets sent down there to Saints and there's one comes back up to Scotland? He was all right for that wee stint at Dundee United. He was definitely like the other one in that kind of Robertson, Chief G, Gold era. Like it was like, oh yeah, and Stuart Armstrong's there. But... And GMS yeah. and whoever. Yeah. yeah, and GMS as well. It was just like, oh, these are major people. Oh, hi, Stuart. Hi. That, that was like a golden generation for United Day. And yeah, nothing exactly. really it's, came it's just of mental. It. But he somehow just gets all these moves. And now I'm actually thinking about it. He's shit at every level. Everything. How is he a professional football player? Celtic fans used to sing that song, didn't they? Yeah. That's why we sing this song First you are strong. That's favorite... only because they just got a chant to it. They went, <laughs> we need a put we've had this chant, lads, for years saved up, but no one somebody, works with it. They need somebody with fine hair and that scores supposed belters all the yeah, time. But I mean my, my residing Stuart Armstrong memory was him coming over to gather the ball at Tynecastle and the boy down the front row chucking it up behind into the stand oh, and everybody's, yeah. giving him, everybody's giving him dogs abuse. I forget that's him in that clip. That's that's literally all I think of. I, I am actually starting to doubt whether he is a footballer or not now. Can we get into what specifically... I realise for people who potentially missed the game, we haven't actually said what he did during the game for us to have such vitriol aimed at him. But I guess kind of the point was he, alongside a lot of individuals, didn't really do anything. No, and, and funnily enough, when I watched the highlights back again to sort of refresh my memory, he actually, he's actually at the heart of some stuff. No, he's not. I but, refuse but, to believe it. But, but during the game, you know, there's times when I'm wanting him to sort of show for possession, doesn't seem to want to take it. Seemed to lose possession more than anybody else when he had it. I just thought he was really... Kieran Tierney kept having to move forward and tuck in because Armstrong wasn't following anybody. So it meant Tierney was being pulled out of position constantly and it was annoying me to fuck. (laughs) Well, I mean, if we we actually get into speaking about the game, I I thought Scotland, despite ironically being the the visitors at hand and if we're getting technical, started pretty well. Um, and at nil nil, the best chance for me was John McGinn swinging across in for the the outstretching Che Adams at the back post. I couldn't believe he didn't score it. But this is what I was going to ask you: Do you think that was as decent a chance as I did or do? Because I think so. Should he go with his head? Because yes. for me, yes. I, I actually I actually thought it favoured a right footed volley, and I heard James McFadden say about his head in commentary. But he seems to sort of want to poke it with the outside of his left. It, it was really bizarre. I've seen it back like four times or something like that. And every single time I see it, I'm like, just put your head on it. It maybe does, it, out of the three options, the one he took is definitely the least likely one I would have taken or I think he should take. I agree that should have hit it with the other foot. But I do just think, just dive for a heater because one of two things can happen there you either connect to it cleanly and it goes in or you don't connect to it properly but you collide with the keeper and maybe get a penalty yeah it's a, it's a sort of I don't know it's kind of that insurance policy of winning a penalty isn't it yeah exactly and I just I don't blame him for missing it right it's one of those chances it's not like you are directly at fault for that it's just one of those moments where you go Oh, the game changes if that goes in. And I know that's such a like obvious thing you say. Obviously, goals change games, but like when you look at the game as a whole, that's one of those moments where it's like the reason we got beat is bec- like that's one of those moments. And I think if we're if we're breaking it down and being honest, you know, Hamden was tense in the build up to the game because everybody knew what was at stake for Scotland. The fact that they could make it out a group stage at a major tournament for the first time. Just had to collect three points, get it done anyway. I think had we got an early goal, the atmosphere then changes, doesn't it? It just becomes so electric and the crowd's roaring us on and I don't know, but Hamden was shortly silenced um, after just 17 minutes. Luka Modric spreads it out wide to the overlapping uh, Juranovic at right back. He crosses... Ivan Perisic out jumps Stephen O'Donnell, nods back for fellow winger 
Nikola Vlasic to stab home. Could Scotland do better in this instance? Is is there anybody in particular at fault for you? What, what oh, was... it's like all we'll get to it. All three goals are inexcusable, but this goal it's listen. I know the like part of the thing is is it's like I'm the defensive one, but obviously I can't be speaking about elite level of football when I just played for under sixteen stuff, right? I know that that people sometimes tweet me going. How can you actually comment? I'm not actually. I'm not actually saying. Oh, I would have done this. But Stephen O'Donnell and Scott McTominay both don't even like attempt to jump. Perisic isn't a really tall guy. He's five foot eleven, right? McTominay especially is taller than that, and I'm pretty sure O'Donnell is as well. But the attempted jump is just. It is just. They just didn't care. Perisic was like, "I'm getting that ball." Then. The bo- it's like, right, fine. Perisic has won the knockdown. You then need to get a touch on the ball. But not only do we not get a touch on the ball, there's no one there to get a touch on the ball. And the guy just has basically all the time in the world to pass it past Marshall. It's not Marshall's fault at all. I, j- I was furious at that goal because it was such an avoidable one. Do you think... I mean, I, I know that he obviously evades two or three to, to stab at home eventually. Could they get tighter to Vlasic yes. in that instance? Or is it just a case of, you know, I don't want to say nodding it away as simple as that, but certainly clearing to safety or preventing the cross first and foremost as well. Yeah, it was another example, much like the Czech game. We just didn't learn. And this is going to be, I'm going to get more into it with the second goal kind of a bigger conversation, but that was the story of the game. We just didn't man-mark anybody. We didn't go, like, touch tight on anybody. We let the cross to come in, and he's basically unmarked in the middle of the box, and it is just inexcusable, and everybody's looking around at each other, blaming each other, and we seem, we've done it all tournament, and we did it in the qualifiers as well. Clark clearly likes zonal marking, there's been times where you can see players going to run into a space when we don't have the ball, but they stop immediately because they realise it's out with the zone that they're meant to be in. I don't like zonal marking. It's one of those few things about like the advancements of football that I, I really don't like because I just don't think it works. And I, one of the reasons we're at this tournament, I think, is because of the fact that Clark has just been his usual stupid, stubborn self and went with that. So everybody in that box doesn't know who's meant to be in that position. And the Croatians have just went, they're not going to drive into that zone. I, I'm also a bit of a traditionalist like that. I'm a bit of a, a man-to-man yeah. man, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But something else I wanted to ask you, obviously, continuing on this sort of defensive uh, theme, your mate Grant Hanley was then hauled off 33 minutes on the clock. Um, you know, I... I think Steve Clark has made some bizarre substitutions and we'll, we'll touch oh on some later. Oh my God, I forgot about this. But I how, totally forgot about this. Yeah, like how, how surprised were you to see Scott McKenna come on? Because I'm looking at it thinking, we've seen Jack Hendry play at this tournament. Liam Cooper's Leeds United's captain. Declan Gallagher was instrumental in getting us here with man-marking Mitrovic in Serbia that night. And yet he opts for a Nottingham Forest Centre half and Scott McKenna. Like what? What was your thoughts with regards to his introduction? I was, I was like immediately livid. I I've never rated Scott McKenna. I know people can argue with that, and I can kind of get the arguments. I think Scott McKenna is a bad defender. I really don't think he's very good. I don't think he was ever good at Aberdeen. I know some people think he was good for a period of time and then kind of dropped off and then went down to Nottingham Forest. I think Scott McKenna is terrible. Can I just add to that? I thought that Aberdeen were mental to turn away the supposed money that they were yes. first getting offered. Yeah. You know, from I think it was Stoke initially and mm-hmm. a couple others, but anyway, they seem to have sold them to Forest for less money in, than they could have initially got from, yeah. I don't know, a Stoke or a Celtic or something, but carry on. No, 100%. Uh, that plays into it. But I, ju- I was immediately furious because, listen, I made it very clear before this tournament started, I'm not Grant Hanley's biggest fan, and that is purely personal biased club level stuff for his antics at Newcastle he was our player of the tournament I am saying that now the only person that can come close to him is Andy Robertson he was just incredible at the back and 
I genuinely was devastated to see him go off because, as the commentators made it very clear, Grant Hanley isn't somebody who just goes down for any old reason. If Grant no. Hanley goes down, summons up with him. But I was like, right, this is really bad. We've lost our best defender at this tournament from a defensive point of view. But, as you said, we, we kind of have a mini wealth of opportunity and talent in that position. Jack Henry, yes, shouldn't have shot but he's done all right for us since he's come in. Liam Cooper, I thought he was fine against the Czech Republic. I don't think he really put much of a foot wrong. Again, captain of Leeds. Declan Gallagher, as you say, really good against Serbia. Generally quite good against kind of that time period in Scotland. In the Scotland game, sorry. And he's got his big move to Aberdeen. I think he deserves it. When McKenna came on, and then the first thing he does is get booked. Like, not even an exaggeration. It's not like... I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, it's not one of those moments where you say, oh, the first thing he did is get booked, when in reality, people say that, and it was actually just the first big thing they do. Like, they make a couple of passes, or they win a header, or something like that. No, the whistle went, and Scott McKenna just halved a guy and got booked immediately before touching the ball. And then that meant we had to change plans tactically again because it meant that our focal point centre-half was booked for like the remaining hour of the game. And then I don't think he did anything good at all. It was just... Our substitutions generally this tournament, I don't think there's been a good one yet. Yet, I say as if we're going to make any more. Like, I don't think we made a single good substitution in that tournament. But that final game is the worst. I would argue one, and even then, even then, it's a substitution that probably shouldn't have been made. I would go as far as to say that Che Adams' introduction at halftime in the Czech game yeah. was the best that we made, and that yeah. speaks volumes because again, he should have started. Yeah, it's not, an, that's not like a hard sub to make. It's no it's the most obvious one, of course, and and the fact that it's at halftime, you know, my bugbear would be as well just talking about the subs now. Mm-hmm. My bugbear is that we leave it late to make changes, right? And then there's three, I think it's something like two or three players come on on 84 minutes, three, one down. What's the point? Is it just to get them an appearance at a major tournament? Because even then the changes that come on, Kevin Nisbet should have been on far earlier than that. And the other one's Nathan Patterson for Stephen O'Donnell. They both came on with like four minutes left when you, like, Nesbitt was told, you're going on with like six minutes left. Uh, we need to score three. Go on then. Yeah, like, what is that? It's I, don't, just... I, 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 I cannot understand that at all. And I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the Hanley substitution aside from the goal looked as though it would appear the only incident of note in that first half. Was there anything else prior, or sort of prior to us equalising that was of real note? Because I don't think there was. No, nah, I think, because I think I even then we the goal came out of nowhere. Yeah, that was that's what I was going to say. Like the goal came so out of nowhere that I was thinking, right, listen, just get to half time. We're going two 0 down because if that's if that happens, the game's dead and buried. I have a quick speak about the goal first, but then I have a question for you about the goal that I want to hear your opinion on. Well, of course, Scotland did become the last team to finally score at Euro twenty twenty. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, well done, lads. <laughs> Stephen O'Donnell uh, and Stuart Armstrong, the, the public enemies, <laughs> combined down the right-hand side. Uh, Armstrong then looks to centre for Che Adams. Croatia clear, but only as far as John McGinn, who recycles possession, feeds Andy Robertson out wide, and again, Scotland looked to cross. But as Che Adams fails to control, Croatia failed to clear. Falls to Callum McGregor on the edge of the box. One touch with the left foot. Slots home with his right just before half time. Then we've finally seen a memorable Scotland goal at a major tournament. And it seemed at the perfect point with half time approaching. What were you thinking at this point? Because like like we just touched on and alluded to there, we could have easily been two down. And then it's that's game done. Well... Now, retroactively, I think two things about the goal. In the moment, as I said, I couldn't really move. So I was just <laughs> sat, waving my arms, shouting, like going mental statically. Um, obviously, like that's a moment that no one in Scotland will ever forget. 
I'm weirdly happy it's Callum McGregor who did it, just because I feel like he's been here for ages. <laughs> he plays all the time for everybody, and fair play to him. Like, it's an amazing hit. He takes it really well, gives the keeper absolutely no chance, and completely, completely fair play to him. So in the moment, I'm thinking exactly like that. Buzzing, great time to score, rips up the Croatia game plan kind of thing. However, my question to you is, was it actually a really bad time to score? And my logic behind this is, is that it made Steve Clark think what he was doing was working. So we didn't make any changes. I get what you mean. I, I was intrigued to see where you were going with that. Um, because I think if it goes to half time and we're one nil down, then he, he has to make changes. He takes off Dykes, puts on a midfielder slash Nisbet, and we change either by going Nisbet and Adams running, and we stop this long ball shite, and actually just get down and try and play through the lines, or we go Adams on his own up top because we'll get to it in the second goal. We were just being overran in midfield. Bring on another midfielder and then just try and calm everything down and then get a goal back then. But because McGregor scored, Clark clearly just went, oh, it's working, it's fine. I don't need to make any changes, when he clearly did. I I don't get the impression that he would have taken Lyndon Dykes off. Whatsoever. I agree, he should have, but I agree. he would have. If he was going to take one of them off, he would have fucking taken Adams off. Yeah, 100%. Because I just feel as though... I feel as though Steve Clark views Lyndon Dykes as a focal point when he's been anything but. Yeah. and He, it's, he views Lyndon Dykes as a good footballer when he's anything but. Yeah. When, when if, we're being, if we're being totally honest or being, you know, perceived to being harsh, he's an average striker at an average English championship team. Listen, this is the thing, right? Lyndon Dykes worked really, really well Back last year, when you could play for draws in games, slash get to penalties. So, like, Dykes was really good at just kind of, you were lumping it up and he was getting a knock on. Even if it was to no one, it's like, run the clock down, run the clock down, and then we'll get to either if we're holding a lead, and it's like, just get rid of that. Or if we're like, right, we just want to get penalties here, don't do anything stupid. That doesn't work in tournament football. You need, to, you need to have a striker who will win your games. Dykes can, at most, get you a point. But in knockout football, that doesn't matter. You're just saying there's some, like, battering ram type. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I just... I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not impressed by Linda Dykes. And like I touched on last week, just need a talisman and a bit cutting edge. And I, I honestly believe that we would have got through the group had we had that. Mm-hmm. Somebody to genuinely depend on, like a genuine major marksman. But obviously, though, no taking away from the moment of the goal because it oh, was incredible. It was, it was great, and it was just relief for me. You know, I, there was not. It would have been so Scotland having had to have waited for twenty three years to be the only team, or to not only not score, but to be the only turn, uh, the only team at the tournament to not score. When, that when, just when there's a tournament thing. that includes North Macedonia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And one that we've had to wait an extra year for because yeah. of the old Rona. Oh, dearie me. But obviously, if we get into the second half, I, I wanted to ask you about something because David Marshall justified his inclusion, I thought, with a, a great stop to deny Vlasic yeah. um, clean through on goal. But as we are obviously predominantly a, a hearts-focused podcast, I thought I'd ask you this anyway. So my dad and I were watching the game together and just chatting away, as you do, and he he believes that Craig Gordon should retire from Scotland duty mm-hmm. because we're both of the same mindset that he's been a great servant for the national team, hasn't obviously played a, a minute at this tournament, and I just feel as though watching some of Marshall's performances... I get the impression he must be wondering what he has to do to start. Are you sort of in the David Kennedy camp where you're, you know, wanting him to commit solely to the famous jam tarts or do you not care either way? Like, what's your thoughts? Nah, I really, really hope he retires. (laughs) I really hope he retires because all that is now happening is 
it gives him potential extra injury stuff where if he gets hurt in training at their training camps. And yeah, listen, I'm not saying that from like a personal perspective. If he wants to keep playing for Scotland, go for it, Craig. In terms of like getting brought to camps and stuff like that, like go for it, mate. I'm not going to sit here and say, no, stop representing your country. Like, <laughs> listen, it's such a ludicrous argument when yeah, you exactly. get down, isn't it? Yeah, but the other argument is you're not actually representing your country if you don't play and you are our number one. But I don't want them to play for Scotland for purely personal reasons. We'll get into it more at the end of this. Is just, it's, I've made it very clear and in a weird, weird way, this tournament has kind of solidified it. I don't care about international football in terms of my country. I don't care about Scotland at international tournaments. So it it makes no difference. Like, I don't care if we have a Hearts player in the squad. See, for most of my life, I've been glad when Hearts players aren't in squads because I'm like, right, there's no extra chance for them to get hurt. That's o- that is the only way I view international tournaments. I shit myself every single time in the last three years. Michael Smith and Liam Boyce have went on expedition with a national team because I'm like they're just going to get hurt. So, one hundred percent. Obviously, it's not up to me. It's not up to anybody but Craig. But I would personally love it if he just went nah, stuff this. I've only got a couple of years left. I'm just going to give it all my hearts. That's why I was pretty pleased with the Stephen Kingsley signing. We will, we will get back to the Scotland talk, I, I promise. But that's why, that's why I was pleased with the Stephen Kingsley signing because he's a talented footballer, but that left-back spot is just you know jam-packed full. So the chances of him starting over the country's captain and arguably one of the best left-backs in the world, Andy Robertson, is very slim. So he can commit fully to hearts, and I'm, I'm cool with that. But... Stuart Armstrong, we've touched on. He then searches for John McGinn at the back post. Scotland looking to turn the game on its head. John McGinn feels as though he should score, despite finding himself in the middle of a stramash in the box. What do you think? Should Scotland have taken the lead here? I think if he puts his other foot on it, it's a goal. But at the same time, I think it's a wee bit harder than Fokker kind of suggesting it is yes like, I like the way that some people are talking about it is that that's an absolute sitter and it's his fault like obviously I don't know if I listeners saw but his brother was on a view from the terrace this past Friday and um, he made it very clear that John was beating himself up about it and listen I'm the one to step up for an ex-Hibs player but I genuinely <laughs> do like John McGinn and I feel a bit bad for him that he's feeling like that because yeah, listen, it's a really good opportunity. And I think if it's a player with who predominantly goes with his other foot, it might be a goal. It's still a ridiculously tight angle, though. Yeah, it's not much of a chance, is it, really? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking wanted sufficient service, that's not the type of chance that you ask for. No, no. I think in the moment, we all go, oh, fuck, how have we no scored there? But then if you look back at it, you go... Yeah, 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 it's a chance, but it's not quite as it. For example, the, I think the Shea Adams chance is a bigger miss than that one. Yeah, f- fully agree with that. But of course, we're talking about chances, Scotland not taking them. This whole sort of don't take your chances and you'll get punished is the kind of running theme of Scotland's tournament, isn't it? Yeah. Because Scotland would be punished for not taking their chances. Luka Modric giving the Croatians the lead. Um, the left back. Vardiola initially fires it in. Some lovely hold-up before Mateo Kovacic slides it to the accompanying Luka Modric. What a fantastic footballer. Bends one outside of the right foot into the top left-hand corner. David Marshall, no chance for me. But is it a great goal? Is it dreadful defending? Talk to me. Right. That that wasn't a moment of, oh, we were made to pay for missing chances. That had nothing to do with it. This is what I want to speak about. Last week, when we were speaking about this Croatia game, we said one thing. We were like, listen, Croatia are very talented. Their midfield is world class. So if we get tight on that midfield, we've got a chance. If we don't, they will dominate us. I 
I genuinely don't understand. And this is where it comes down to the fact, like, this is Steve Clark's fault. There is no getting away from this. This is Clark's fault. And he doesn't seem to give a shit about it. His solution to going, right, how am I going to compete with a midfield of a Champions League winner, a Scudetto winner, and arguably the best one of the, well not arguably one of the best midfielders in my lifetime easy one, one of the best midfielders easy. of all time and the most World recent Cup Ballon d'Or winner how are we going to nullify them I know we just won't we'll just pretend that they don't exist so we won't go fucking near them and yes listen obviously it's a world class finish from a world class player but he shouldn't be able to hit that when you look at it, there is eight yards or something between him and any other Scottish player. He has time to set it and just look at the top corner and go, right, I'm just pinging this with outside my boot. I'm not taking away from the finish. But that's why we got beaten that game. For the full 90, our midfield didn't even try and match up with any midfield. If you do that against any midfield, you're, having a, you're going to have a long night. See, if you do it against one of the greatest midfield threes currently operating in world football, you're absolutely fucked. And that is solely at the fault of Steve Clark. Completely. He just, again, like he did against Czech Republic, he couldn't have got it more wrong and we were made to be punished and just look like idiots. Everybody could see. Don't give Modric space. Don't give Kovacic space. Don't give Brozovic space. And I think they three had the most amount of space in the entire park. I, I was going to ask you, actually, because those three in midfield, where, where, where would you actually rank them in terms of the tournament? Because for me, that's that's right up there. It's one of the best. Italy's midfield three, especially on the rotation, where they can bring in Locatelli, Verratti, Barella, and all that. that like, they have so many that they can introduce. That's really far up there. Obviously, the French midfield... Yeah. With Pogba Cante, Pavard can play inside. Like, yeah, they're just they that is an elite level. Weirdly, I think Germany's main strength is the middle of the park. I think they can be quite weak elsewhere, but they're really strong. But Croatia's midfield, especially that three, like when that three plays, you're hard pressed to find a better midfield three, like midfield trio in the world at either club or country level. And that's just it makes it so much more infuriating that we treated them the way we did. No, definitely. And how often have we seen it though, where, you know, we, we speak as fans of a non-old firm club. When you get a result against the old firm, chances are you've had to put in the extra yards to earn it. You know, you've not got, mm-hmm. you've not got similar quality and you can't allow players of Celtics class Rangers caliber because they'll just you, you have to get tight, you can't sit off them because it's just it's only a matter of time before they pick you apart. The fact that we can't identify something so basic really concerns me with that midfield trio because I just felt looking at it. I mean, Luka Modric is without doubt one of the best midfielders we've ever seen. I don't care how old he is. I don't care if he's mid-30s, mid-130s. If we have to press or potentially double up on him, then so be it. Because ultimately, he's carved us open time and time again. And the fact that it takes so long for us to identify that, having failed to do so, is just the biggest bugbear that I've got throughout this entire game. It's it's just symptomatic of... Steve Clark's tactics, it's incredibly defensive, it's incredibly pragmatic, it's just really pedestrian, slow, not taking the initiative. And then I think that is kind of exemplified at the corner for their third as well. Yeah, well, let's let's touch on that because Luka Modric then turns provider, like you say, for Ivan Perisic to nod home from the corner with a fantastic header. And that was that, you know, yet another case of hand and heartbreak. Excitement and sense of progression soon became that same familiar feeling that you become accustomed to as a Scotland fan. A sense of watching a game sort of unfold in the most 
underwhelming fashion imaginable and wondering what could have been. I mean, what did you make of that third goal? Tierney's massively at fault. Tierney doesn't go with the runner. He doesn't try for the header. But you shouldn't. You just shouldn't be conceding for set pieces, and especially that easily. Like, it was so easy. I don't think Marshall is at fault for any goal. I think he would have... If he saves any of them, they're like world-class saves. But I blame everybody else, and... It's going it was, back to Zonal, isn't it? Yeah, like no one was picking them up. It was it was so simple. It was like a, it was like in FIFA where you were like, right, just do the most basic corner tactic on in swinger into the front post, like, and you, and you make them all crowd out the keeper and whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like that's all it was. It doesn't take a tactical genius to do it. It just takes somebody going, oh, go and just all crowd around the box, and we just didn't know how to deal with it. And you're right, it just summed up everything. It just summed up our tournament. It summed up the expectation and then the crushing reality. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously, we've got kind of... I I was going to ask you something before we sort of wrap up because I was looking at the rest of the groups and I think in an attempt to sort of raise morale... Are we better than sides already eliminated? Like, if, if we're breaking it down, obviously, there was the six groups of four, so the 24 teams initially. Eight teams are, of course, eliminated, Scotland being one of those eight. So Turkey obviously finished bottom of Group A on zero points. I couldn't believe that. They were yeah. terrible. And I feel like Scotland could take Turkey now. I think Turkey were better than us. Okay. I think um, we were the worst tournament. I think we were the worst team at that tournament. Wow. So uh, I, I was going to ask you, better than Russia, better than North Macedonia, Finland. Oh, Russia were bad. Slovakia, Poland, and nah, Hungary. Nah, I, I, the only team I think that could be in contention is Russia. I forgot how dreadful Russia were. I didn't think um, Poland were great either. But again, Lewandowski just about single-handedly carries them. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like They have that world-class talent. they got Good result. The the draw with Spain was really really impressive, and it, it I know like a lot of it was just to do with the fact that they had a world class talent up front, which we don't have. But Poland looked more organised. Turkey looked more. Turkey were terrible, right? Turkey, Turkey were, were awful. Turkey were, they were meant to be a dark horse. They yeah. were very very poor. They were ter- terrible. But I I I don't know if I'd say Turkey were we were worse than Turkey. I would put us and Turkey directly on par because they had a harder group as well. Like when you look at it, well, with the way that Italian side rocked up, yeah, I think because when you looked at it, you went, "Well, that's actually not that bad." Like Turkey could get through if they they. But Wales comprehensively beaten by Denmark in the round of sixteen. Absolutely, that's what I mean. That being said, I mean if we're going. It's currently France nil, Switzerland one as well. I know, so. I know it is. I've just seen that as well. <laughs> so that just shows how how mad that group was, I suppose. But I just think we like. I want to kind of speak about the our tournament experiences as a whole because I think it can be separated into two. Right? I think off the park, it was a very very big success. It was it fantastic. Made, it made you, me, and millions of Scottish people who normally aren't invested in the international team become invested. I got a Scotland top for the first time in my life. Like, and like, obviously all the passion and the excitement and the kind of just general country feeling. It was one of the very few times in my life I've ever seen all football fans in Scotland come together because often, kind of at times all football fans in Scotland come together against either one of the old firm or both of them. But this was a real example of just everybody put club allegiance aside and was all together. That was great, right? Off the park, it was fantastic. I genuinely think on the park, it couldn't have gone worse. I think it was a catastrophic failure because think about it, right? When... Mm -hmm. When you go to an international tournament, you don't get home games generally. Like, yeah, you can be the seeded home team, but you don't get actual home games. 
the Hamden the Hamden games are the the kick in the balls here, aren't they? Zero points from two actual home games, like actual home games. Well, we say that the the Czechs have just got past the Dutch to reach the last eight, and Croatia came from what three one down with about five minutes to go to draw three all with the Spanish. I know they eventually got put out. And that was one of the games of the tournament, but... But Holland are awful. I think we'd have beat Holland if we went through. Like, I think... I Holland think, are I, dreadful. I, I've said it. I, I just feel as though the Dutch are missing Virgil van Dijk. And I know yeah, that yeah. somebody that calibre can't make a team, particularly a defender, but I, I would argue that he probably would. No, definitely. If van Dijk's in that team, it's different. But... On the current standings, and I know that has happened in the last couple of days because of the results that the Czechs and the Croatians nearly got as well. It's made a lot of people go, oh, maybe our group was actually harder than we expected. But in that Czech game, our downfall was before we kicked a ball because of the team setup. We got it fundamentally wrong against Croatia. The tactics and style of play, we got it fundamentally wrong. That it doesn't matter who you're playing, if you get it wrong tactically, you're not going to win. Like, my issue isn't the fact that, oh, yeah, we lost to these teams who we should arguably be beaten 100%, right? And some people are going, listen, we didn't give teams like Croatia enough respect, and I can kind of agree with that as well, right? But generally, we, we did badly at this tournament. Because of Steve Clark's management, do you think it's a mentality thing as well? Because we say about Steve Clark, I feel as though it sort of all goes hand in hand. To be honest, I feel as though Steve Clark's—I don't want to say negativity, but his more conservative style of play. Let's just say, I—I I feel as though we've got players in our ranks that opposition ought to be concerned about. And yet, we seem to be far more concerned about what the opposition do than us sort of implementing our authority on games. Mm-hmm. 100%. I, I do not disagree with a single part of that, but I think all of that is down to Clark. Like, I just... Yeah, because, listen, Robertson, Tierney, Adams, other players, like... Show initiative, McGinn as well. Show initiative. Show attacking kind of pertinence, and they, they for the clubs especially, they, they are very crucial in the way they play. It's not a coincidence that when those players all come together under a new manager, that they suddenly change. That's not just a coincidence. It's because they're being taught differently, and Clark's attitude of it, it's very similar to what I said about like the way Dykes plays. Clark's attitude doesn't work with tournament knockout football. The reason he got Kelly third is because he would nick a goal and then just batter down the hatches and be very good defensively. You can't do that at tournament football because suddenly if you concede, you don't get to go, all right, okay, we'll just hold on to this point. Like if you do that more than once, you're out. Like there's no pissing about. Like you can't do you need to win games to get through and be successful in knockout football. And we just didn't do that at all. Some individuals absolutely shone. As I said, Grant Hanley was fantastic. Andy Robertson finally looked like Liverpool Andy Robertson in a Scotland Billy top. Gilmore's Wembley cameo and whatever. Exactly. I think John McGinn generally did quite well with what he was told to do. But overall, I think it was on the park a massive failure. So you'd go as far as to say that we were the worst team at this tournament? I think tied with Turkey and Russia. Interesting. I tell you what, we ought to take a couple of leaves out of Hungary's book because well, their that's group a bit, was wait, horrendous. Now, we need to explain what that oh, means. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, <laughs> in a footballing sense, <laughs> in a footballing sense, we need to take a couple of leaves out of Hungary's book because that, I mean, that group, the, the final group games. Oh, it was turned upside down, you know, every couple of minutes. It was crazy. Yeah. But that was a team who just went, we have nothing to lose here. Let's just go out and play our game. 
and they did it as much as I didn't want them to do it brilliantly. And I'm delighted that they finished bottom of that group. Get it so far fucking up to us. But the players themselves and their manager clearly just went, right, listen, no one gives us a chance here. Absolutely no one gives us a chance. Let's just go for it. And they did it. No, of course. And that's been the, the main bugbear as well, isn't it? Because I, I mentioned the mentality earlier on. I see sort of talk regarding countries of smaller populations and the fact that they're able to produce a couple world-class players and whatnot. Do you think there's something fundamentally wrong with Scottish football that that prevents the national team from kicking on? Because ironically, whilst it hasn't been great on the park at this tournament, this is arguably the best, certainly it's the best that I've felt about the national team in a long, long time. And I'm assuming that a lot of folk will be of that same mindset as me. Yet, it still feels as though we've got that sort of what if. And and I don't, I don't understand why we're now having to break it down and question what we could do more. Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, 100%. Listen, I think there are major obstacles within Scottish football and Scottish society that prevents it. Within Scottish football, it's the catering to the old firm and the two-club system. And, I mean, we're seeing this week with the Colts teams coming in, like, Don't shit like started. that. Yeah, shit like that massively hinders the game domestically. Additionally, within Scottish society, the way that we kind of do not provide any support for grassroots football, the no ball games, pitches being locked up and stuff like that. It's not as easy as it once was to mobilise and get young people playing football as it is in Croatia and Denmark and Hungary and stuff like that. But additionally, I still think this group of players failed at doing, like, that doesn't matter to this current group. This current group we're definitely good enough to beat the Czech Republic at home. This current group definitely was able to put up more of an opposition to a very ageing Croatia side. And, and this this is the perfect way, I think, to, to sum it up because we're talking about the capable team. Of course, World Cup in 2022 is, is the next major tournament you know, Scotland will play qualifying fixtures against a couple decent sides, Denmark, Austria, Israel, yet again. Uh, the Faroe Islands and Moldova are all in Group F as part of the Tartan Army's World Cup qualifying campaign. I guess it's a simple question to end off. Will we make it? No, absolutely no chance. Please. Can I just say, this would be a brilliant tournament to miss. Oh, I... I'll be completely upfront and honest, right? I hope we don't qualify. <laughs> I would much rather, having seen the plans for Euro 2024 in Germany, aim for that. Listen, I, I kind of hinted at it earlier. This tournament, both simultaneously, brought me closer to the national team than I ever have before, but also showed me why I will never pr- truly care about them. Wow. Because when that final whistle went, uh, no, actually, that's not true. When that third goal went in, my brain went, we've got Spartans next week. I'm going to that. <laughs> when the final whistle went, I went, right, let's start thinking about what we're going to do in the transfer window. There is, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because I wasn't really brought up caring about the national team not in the sense of that I was to- like my dad cares about Scotland as much as kind of the general person he's a massive football fan but I was always brought up where it's like no it's hearts so therefore I can never feel the way I feel about Scotland as a national team as the way I do about my club that's so- the same for everyone though isn't it no I dis- I think there are people who well I know there are people who massively prefer the national the, team the lesser the fans of I don't want to sound too harsh yeah the fans are lesser clubs you're lead to yeah yeah maybe maybe and that's the thing i don't want to say here because listen whilst it might not feel like it a lot of the time we're in quite a privileged position in terms of we support one of the biggest clubs in this country right so 
as even you though see, they're an absolute pain in the hoop to talk that's about what I mean yeah it doesn't feel like that in recent years right but we do so it's like for example it's a failure for us when we don't get to a cup final the amount of teams who just want to get to a quarter final right I get that and your national team it brings you together it's a sense of community I'll never take that away from anybody and as I said that has been the biggest positive of this tournament bringing everybody together but I just fundamentally don't really give a shit. I can get angry at the football, right? I can get angry at Steve Clark's tactics. But as soon as the final whistle goes, I've very much just moved on from it. I don't have that connection I have. And everybody's speaking about like, yes, come on, the World Cup qualifiers. I don't even know if I'm going to watch the games. <laughs> like, I... I just fundamentally don't care. I'll be passionate during the moment. I want. I will never cheer against Scotland. I will always want Scotland to win. And listen, folk will be completely justified in calling me a national team glory hunter. I <laughs> totally am. I am. And I don't care about that because it's like, I just don't have the motivation or the desire or the nationalistic pride like I support Germany in all tournaments that's what I've always done ever since I was wee and a part of me when we got knocked out was like ah back to normality I can support Germany again you've actually ended up depressing me because I'm lumbered with hearts in Scotland for life so that's great thanks for that mate (laughs) yeah that's the thing I can switch one off I have one like I can't get as annoyed at Scotland and Hearts. So I'm lucky where it's like, well, I've just got that one aspect, whereas you are saddled with both of them. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd rather Hearts won a corner than Scotland won a game. Yes. I, I, yeah. I've, I've, I've always been that way. But I don't know. I, I, I think I'm starting to realise how patriotic I am to an extent as well. I didn't, I didn't previously feel like that. That's maybe another aspect of it. Like, I... D- to peel back the crack. I am a pro-independence person for Scotland, but a lot of people... Oh, God, get political. I know, but that's not the point. What the point was that I was going to make was that often gets lumbered in with a nationalist and, like, Scotland, yes! That's not why I want that. (laughs) Like, listen, I love Scotland. I love being Scottish. I am Scottish, not British. Like, I love it. But... I, I I feel more connection and pride and togetherness with hearts than I do with Scotland as a national team. No, that's that's fair. I just looking at our sort of starting fixtures in the in the Premiership. This is going to be no, I'm buzzing. This is going to be so excited. I'm so oh, buzzing. That makes one of us. Well, thank you all for listening. We've got this to an hour. Somehow, I was no part of myself. I've no idea how we've done this, but yes, thank you very much to everyone who has potentially just joined us on this little four-episode journey because you're not a Hearts fan, but you wanted to listen to some Euro content. I hope you've had a good time. If you are interested, please stick around. We are a Hearts podcast, as you, as you definitely know, and we will be back from next week. So yes, Hearts fans or regular listeners, there will be no break. Because, oh my God, there has been so much to speak about. So, yes, we will be back next week. Episode 46, back in a brand new season. But I will be honest, it has been fun doing this. Adam, have you enjoyed doing this little mini-series? No, definitely. This was one of your better ideas, mate. Yeah, 100%. I think it's one that we'll look back at. I was going to say with pride, but it's probably just with disappointment, like the entire tournament. We can sort of we can sort of match them up simultaneously. Whilst we're watching old Scotland games back, or whilst I'm watching old Scotland games back, <laughs> and and crying into some tartan scarf. Um, yeah, I, I can listen to these and just think, shut up, you little melt. Like, just just slate myself listening to this. So no, but it's been good. I, I've enjoyed it and. It's been great, but listen, I'm I'm buzzing to get back talking about the, the mighty jam tarts. Are you in that same boat? Oh, 100%. I am, as this is being released, going to my first game of football in 16 months as Hearts play Spartans outside my 
Garden. So I'm very, very excited about that. But yes, we are at Perth to Paisley on all the social medias. You've been listening to the Perth to Paisley podcast. You can listen to us on YouTube if you fancy. However, we're available on all reputable and some non-reputable podcast platforms. Please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Massively helps all that algorithm stuff that makes no sense, but it massively helps. So massive thank you if you have done. You can contact us, pertipaisley at gmail.com if you want to leave us a question, a comment, anything like that. We're also at pertipaisley on all the social media. Adam, where can they get you personally on social media? They can get me personally on all the socials at Adam T. Kendall. And yourself, mate? I am at dmckiver22. Yes, in a very traditionally Scottish way, we had very high hopes. It didn't really live up to it. But hey, at least we got there. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. It's been fun. Take care.